welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. I'm Michael Gungor. Actually, I'm not Michael Gungor, and this is not the Liturgist. Despite the six minutes of conversation we just had off the air, I'm Ted Cluck. This is the Happy Ramp Podcast, and I'm joined, as always, in studio by my good friends and my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. We have both of them in studio. Ronald is back, refreshed, renewed. Uh, his voice is full of life and energy. Um, due to the two weeks that he just spent um, on the road living an amazing life. Uh, Ronald, welcome back to the program. Do we need to do introductions because it's been a while? Thanks, boys. Um, I mean, you, you can always do introductions. We're the only podcast that doesn't do introductions, so I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, tell, tell us your name and where you're from and something unique about yourself. <laughs> well, hi, guys. My name is uh, Ronald Joseph Martin. I'm an Enneagram 4, and uh, I live Everything in- is unique about you, then. <laughs> I live in Ashland, Ohio, which is a town of only me and my wife. That's how unique it is. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, definitely you and your wife because your one neighbor moved away recently. Correct. Um, so, yeah, population two, Ashland, Ohio, uh, quaint little town. I've been there. But, Ronald, I would be remiss if uh, if I allowed the two of us to continue talking about ourselves because we have a very special program. Indeed. Absolutely. Uh, we have the Barnabas Piper episode of the Happy Rant podcast. Yes. Uh, we have both done episodes in which we've been on the hot seat, but uh, this is Pipes Morning. In our pre-production meeting, it came down to talking about this or talking about Jerry Falwell. Uh, we all came out resoundingly in favor of talking about Piper, and uh, I, I, for one, am excited to kick this thing off. Ron, do you have, since you're fresh off the road back into the studio, do you have a, a question to get us started with Pipe? Yeah, for sure. So, Pipe, how you doing, buddy? Um, it's a strong first question. That's the question. I'm, I am That's well. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Cool. Next we can question. Probably wrap this thing then. Yep. Are we We're good? good. Was that yeah. Nice? Hey, we've done what we always do on this program. <laughs> no. So here's my question for you, Pipe. I actually gave some thought to this. Believe it or not, I'm not just winging it. Uh, which is how I normally do almost well, everything. You've had in some life. time to devote to thinking, so that's good. I have. I had two weeks, and it was really what dominated most of the convo between me and Big M as we were traveling through all the uh, you know New England states. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's what I want to know, man. I was thinking about your life. I was thinking about the uniqueness of your upbringing, which comes up a lot, which then always seems to pivot to your pop. Um, but I want to pivot it back to you in the sense that I want to ask you this: what? What did you, as a kid, you know, the sort of what I want to be when I grow up question, but given sort of the unique upbringing that you had, um, what, what were some of the, what were some things in your mind, either from an early to sort of like early teenage, you know, coming out of high school age that you thought, man, this is what I want to devote my life to. This is what I would like to do. And are, are you, are you doing any of those things? That is that that's a much that's better a question. question. That's a much better question than how are you, which was a nice first question, but not nearly yeah, as hard hitting. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I imagine that you came up with that question while, you know, breaking crab legs with a little wooden mallet or something like that. And so um, I'm not a fish guy, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Big M was doing ba- that. Ba- yeah. How much of his vacation and- did you see Piper? What's that? Was it archived on like the gram? If, yeah, if you, go, of- if you go to Instagram, you get a real good sense of all of the things that you missed by not being on vacation with Ronnie and Big M. So it was, uh, it looked glorious. So you felt like you were on that vacation. So yeah, I except for being able to taste all the delicious food that he posted pictures of. That part I didn't get to partake in. 
Um, like Spurgeon said, always, always post pictures of your vacation. Yeah. Oh man, I, I love that was a great, great line from Spurge. Just pastoral. He's so baby. I like to bring it back to yeah. I like to bring it back to the real purpose of. This We're never going to let pipe talk. Over. <laughs> no, we are too. Um, I honestly cannot remember. I was never a kid who had like a, a thing in mind that was I'm going to be this when I grow up. I sort of ping ponged between things, you know, like what I. When I was in college, I had two different roommates who were going to be doctors and they had wanted to be doctors mm. since they were kids and now they are doctors. And so they just <clears throat> they had that sort of wiring. Uh, I was not that I was I to this day, I'd say it. Well, I'd say until I started on staff at Emanuel, I was still kind of in the I don't really know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Mm. I know I've figured out some things that I'm good at. So maybe I'll try to do those things and see if I can get paid for them. Um I, you know, when I was little, I wanted to be a professional athlete, which is unfortunate for an average height and above average girth kid. Um, <laughs> wasn't wasn't in the cards for me. Um, when I was in high school and college, I strongly considered youth ministry, um, and mm-hmm. I did for I did it for a while. Um, did you get the Jesus fish tattoo anywhere on your body at that? No, at that time? I I I scoffed at those youth pastors. So I had I had two amazing youth pastors growing up who were neither cool. Uh, like they they were not. They didn't try to be stereotypically cool. Nor did they sort of overemphasize fun at the expense of you know actually discipling teenagers. But that made them way more fun because they were genuine, they were humble, they were likable. Um, both of them are still in ministry today, so they didn't kind of do the youth ministry burnout thing. And and so they they set a real high bar for me in my mind of what youth ministry could be like. And I thought, boy, if you can. If you can teach kids like that and be fun, you know, missions trips, camping trips, ridiculous pranks, like all of the crazy youth ministry stuff, um, but also, you know, real serious. We're going to walk through books of the Bible and really study and get get up early and go pray together and whatever. <clears throat> yeah. So that 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 uh, got its hooks into me for a while. And then I did youth ministry at a church and ran into some real significant issues with the church leadership. And got very jaded towards ever working at a church again. Um, so that was probably at like age 23, 22. And then I didn't work at a church until I, for, for about 14 years. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, uh, I knew that I did not want to be a pastor like my dad. Um, mm-hmm. In part because I just wanted no part in it. And in part because I looked at him and go, and to this day I look at him and I go, well, I can't do what he does. Yeah. Um, so I would like to stay out of that arena. Um, yeah. And I, I had no idea and it took a long time for me to even figure out what it would look like to, to kind of put my gifts into play in a professional manner that I didn't hate. Mm. Dude, did, did that feel weird at Wheaton along with all these like future doctors and how snobby was Wheaton is basically (laughs) how insufferably snobby was Wheaton compared to other like insufferably snobby settings that you've been in it's, in your um, life? <clears throat> I I managed to connect with a group of people who were like they fit they fit the Wheaton bill in terms of their academic chops and yeah. their all American kidness, etc. Uh-huh. But they were not pretentious d bags. Um, wow! So That's there were, there was a fair number of those there. There was also yeah. a fair number of like your trust fund baby stuck up oh, yeah. future, you know, gonna. 
going to run a finance company on, you know, down in the loop in Chicago or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think I did not fit because I had no drive whatsoever. There were not yeah. a lot of kids who, who made it through Whedon who just didn't care that much. And, yeah. um, I was one of them. Interesting. I, I just didn't, I only wanted to do the things that I liked. I had yeah. no sense of like, oh, you do the hard work in the classes that you think are stupid because yeah. that's what it takes to get ahead. I was like, why would I study geology? I don't yeah. care about, I don't care about geology. I don't care, I don't care about math. I don't care about a lot of these. Why would I study them? Which for the record is not a great attitude. Um, but I, I was did the same way pipe. We would have been great like roommates in college. Yeah, Terrible for each other, but had a exactly. lot of fun, I'm sure. So yeah, Absolutely. I had, I had more fun in college than I did. Um, than I did like gain academic ground. My college record was not stellar. Well, so Pat, so, let me ask you this. Let me, let me, yeah. let me hit, hit off that for a second. So what about, so for like the, for like the profs there that knew who you were, was there like a particular expectation? Were they like constantly bringing you into their room saying, Hey, I've noticed you don't really like geology that much. And that's problematic <laughs> if you want like a career, you know, as a, as a celebrity pastor, you know, or whatever. Did, did you get that kind of feedback from them? Now, you know how there are like uh, drug rehab clinics for famous people or famous people's <laughs> kids, and they just sort of know there's there's a set of rules on we you know how you interact with these people who have you know they're exceptionally well known. Whedon is a little bit like that for the evangelical world. Yeah, um, okay. the, they don't call out the children of well known evangelicals. Um, yeah, I only remember that happening a couple times, and it wasn't negative; it was positive. Okay. One was one was a New Testament professor who, you know, that we were going to be talking about passages about uh, men's and women's roles in the church. And of course, my dad co-authored Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is sort of like the seminal complementarian book that egalitarians hate with every ounce of their being. And so he yep. he pulled me aside after class <clears throat> the week prior and said, hey, this is going to be coming up next week. You don't have to come to class if that makes you uncomfortable, because <clears throat> I'm sure your dad will come up and I don't want you to be like spotlighted on this. So mm-hmm. and then there was maybe one other instance, but it was, again, somebody who knew my dad and had they had more of a relationship. Um, and so, yeah, there's Whedon. Whedon does a pretty good job of just treating people on their merits not their not their last names uh and my merits <laughs> didn't deserve to be treated like much of anything so um i didn't get special treatment at all mm. interesting. interesting yeah now pipe was your uh did, did it cause a lot of consternation for your dad who strikes me as like uber motivated like the most motivated person the most intentional person uh did it bother him that you just kind of jacked around it with college Yes. Uh, <laughs> the short answer is yes. And he's yeah. not he's not like a get all over. <clears throat> you know, once we left the house, he especially because I was the fourth child. So he had some practice at not kind of uh, being right. nosy yeah. in his kid's business. Um, he I could tell that he was holding back a number of times when we would talk or when I would go home or when they would see my, you know, they would kind of find out how the semester went and be like, you had a what GPA? That's not even a whole number. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, it really bothered him <clears throat> because he is he is all of the things you just said um, mm-hmm. in terms of like he's just he's the he's the most grinder of any worker I've ever met. Um, I don't know how smart my dad is, like just in terms of innate intelligence. Like, I think he's very bright, but you can't tell because he never stops working. So you can't tell where like hard work makes up for lack of innate intelligence and where things just sort of click. He just, 
he's he's a different he's a different animal when it comes to work ethic which i think i've gained ground in as an adult but still not in his department not even in his like we i'm a single a ball player and he's you know he's an all-star when it comes to this stuff yeah yeah to piggyback on that and then i'll i'll throw it to ron again for another question and not to make this all about your dad but do you feel like your dad has learned anything from you in terms of enjoyment rest maybe not being super work oriented and motivated all the time um or do you think do you think he's ever gone through kind of a moment of existential crisis where he's questioned the uh, veracity of his work or the importance of his work you know what i mean and i ask that with selfish motive because i go through that (laughs) all the time um i I don't know that he's ever questioned the value of his work because it's, it's, he can't, I mean, his work is not work for him. You know, I think for most of us, work is a thing that we do, not a thing that we are. Um, even if, even if we have sort of our identity wrapped up in it, like in an, in an unhealthy way for him, his work is, it is, it's almost like the way the apostle Paul talks about, like, I basically exist for the declaration of the gospel, the end. Yeah. That's, that's the whole of it. And then it just sort of weaves its way into everything. That's, there's a real similarity there. So no, I don't think he's ever questioned it. We have had some very blunt conversations, uh, especially as, as, as I grew into adulthood and you need to kind of gain the, gain a little bit more confidence, a little bit more self-awareness and a little bit more, uh, kind of moving away from the childish, like, I wish you were just more fun, dad, into, yeah. I think it'd be healthy if. And so we've had some pretty blunt conversations where I told him, I was like, I don't always want to talk about God. Sometimes it's fun to watch baseball or football or watch right. a movie or whatever. And, <clears throat> and like lightning came down from the sky. Yeah. And, and I wasn't struck dead. So apparently, uh, <laughs> apparently he didn't use his prophetic powers to, to call out, you know, lightning or bears or something. And, um, right. <clears throat> But I've seen shifts, you know, he, I'd say since he retired from being a pastor, particularly so that his schedule is a little bit more, uh, moderate, he does take a lot more time when, like when I'm in town to spend time with grandkids and, you know, he's often the first one, you know, if we're up there in the fall to be like, Hey, are the Vikings playing today? Let's find a way to watch it together. Those kinds of things, which is awesome. It's great to see a 70 something year old man, um, continuing to to grow as a person and as a parent. So uh, I think I've had some influence on him. I don't think it's ever caused him to question his the value of his work. And I do wonder sometimes if he regrets having fun with me. Like, <laughs> does he get to the end and go, I could have been using those three hours for something different? I don't think <laughs> so. Written but four it's, pages. <laughs> but it's know. possible. Interesting. Interesting. R- Ronald, what do you have? Yeah, so let's pivot from uh, your your dad gets talked about a lot. Pipe, tell us tell us like two things that we would never know or guess that have influenced you about and concerning your mom. Oh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I would say my my uh, wide ranging appreciation for fiction books mm. is entirely thanks to my mom. Like 100%. Um, she just baked into our lives, especially, I don't, maybe not my older brothers, I would assume so, but, um, it, but especially mine, 
just stories like she would <clears throat> we didn't have a tv growing up not because my parents are like amish weirdos but just their stance was if we have a tv we'll watch it and there's better things to do with our time so let's do those things instead and books were the majority of those things and so you know if we were like folding laundry as little kids so six seven years old sitting there folding a pile of laundry for four boys um she'd just read to us so she'd read mm. <clears throat> she'd read books and and she'd read books that were like it, all sorts of crazy adventure stories. And I remember like I learned what being drawn and quartered was from a book that she read us, um, being put on the rack, all these things, you know, so that when I finally watched Braveheart, I was like, oh, I know this stuff. Mom taught me. Um, nice. And uh, and she would take us to the library. We had a little community library a few blocks away. We would go there once or twice a week. You know, she'd give us a limit on books which tells you the kind of family we were when you have to limit the kids on books. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and, and then she just had an entire wall of mysteries. So Agatha Christie, P.D. James, I don't know who all the other Dorothy Sayers, et cetera, just these, these novel writers. She loved like your, your pulp English novels and mm. just ate them up. So, that would be a big thing that she did uh, that that has had an you know an ongoing. I, I feel at home in rooms that have a wall of books. I go into houses that have no books, and I just wonder what's wrong with people. So uh, <laughs> that's that's a strong mom influence, and her bookshelves are way more interesting than my dad's. Like all of his mm-hmm. Puritans and commentaries were much less <laughs> much less imp- imp- interesting to me. Let's see what else Dude. did she do. What are what are the odds your mom is gonna buy Ronald's uh, Christmas novel, his Christmas sweater novel, <laughs> and love it? Do you think that's in her wheelhouse? The one I can never get published, boys. Is that the one? Uh, we're yeah, I, the I one that you that will get published, baby. Don't talk like that. You know, I don't remember my mom ever reading anything that was overtly like <clears throat> feel good or romantic, which also might be something I picked up from her. Who knows? Um, that that doesn't seem like in her wheelhouse. I think the other thing, my mom is a great traveler. She, mm-hmm. she's just a boss at, you know, if she gets a call from somebody at church, who's like, Hey, we have a team that's heading over to visit these missionaries in Thailand in 11 days. Do you want to go? Uh-huh. She'll be like, yep. And then she'll figure out how to do it. And like, she's kind of got pre-packed bags, you know, just sort of, she just has, she, she digs <clears throat> it. She loves like hitting the road. Oh yeah. And, and as a kid, I hated it. Not necessarily that she would just travel, but like when we traveled, it was like, we're going to read every plaque and every scenic overlook and all this stuff. And it was so boring. <laughs> um, but as an adult now, I'm interested in things that I thought were boring as a kid. And so I, you know, I like to visit Civil War battlefields and I like to see like, what is, why is that building a cool historic? And my kids are like, dad, you're turning to grandma. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think just the the awareness of history and adventure and the world is bigger than your neighborhood and your hometown. Those are all things that she uh, that she instilled as well, just by how she lived. Like, I don't I don't remember her aggressively teaching those things as much as just constantly doing them. Mm. That's fascinating, dude. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Do you think she ever struggled with being a pastor's wife i mean especially like a high profile pastor's wife um i hear that being a pastor's wife is not easy but i i don't necessarily know the the ins and outs of it of course so what did that look like for you guys yeah i think she did um not like struggle in the sense of you know i'm gonna throw in the towel but yeah yeah, yeah. there were a lot of struggles that came with it 
yeah. think she benefited. I'm I'm guessing. I'm putting putting words in in. If she was telling the story, she might tell it differently. But when so when she was growing up, um, she she did not want. She just steadfastly said, "I want to do two things with my life. I want to travel the world, and I don't want to marry a pastor." Um, yeah. So then she Whoops. she married a pastor and was pretty sure it was going to kind of lock her into a small locale for the rest of her life. And instead it opened up all the doors to travel. And, and I think she really wanted to teach as well. Um, mm. and so she, she kind of gave up the travel teaching dream in her mind and through being a pastor's wife actually opened the door to do more speaking, more teaching, more travel than she probably otherwise could have done. Um, but she, she had the advantage of, she was married to my dad for, 12 years before he became a pastor. And so that was a decent on-ramp um, of like knowing where he was headed. But he went into academia for five or six years before he moved into the pastorate. And so there was <clears throat> they, they were able to kind of process that together and get to the place of being like, okay, we can do this thing. Um, the other is that it was a smaller church when he became a pastor. So it was that's a different sort of scrutiny, you know, where everybody's up in the pastor's business, but it wasn't a high profile thing. And so she was probably a pastor's wife for 15 years before he became any sort of high profile that mattered. And so, again, there's sort of a, a foundation laid there where they had a pretty <clears throat> a pretty good sense of what it looks like to do ministry together, to be married together but both my parents had talked about, I guess, I don't remember this because I was really little, but they went through a really rough stretch, late 80s, early 90s. So probably 10 years into his ministry, I was, you know, six or seven years old at the time. And uh, and just trying to figure out how they were going to make this thing work, the marriage, the the uh, the ministry, all of it. And but under the banner of like, well, we're not going to give up because that's not an option. Like you just don't quit. And. So they they pushed through and and saw it through and and God was gracious to them in it, um, but yeah there there was definitely hard days, and I've never heard my mom overtly say it because she's not a very expressive person in terms of strongly emoting, but I'm certain there are times she is just all the way fed up mm. with the the kind of being under scrutiny. Uh, of of being a prominent pastor's wife, like I've vented, and she just sort of gives a knowing smile, and is like, you can sort of see in her eyes, she's like, yes, I know full well what uh -huh. you're describing, but I'm not going to respond to this comment. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Pipe, Dude, what, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go for it, baby. Go for it. For yeah. Real. So I want to I want to pivot, man. I want to get a little more. I want to get a little lighter, maybe a little more personal. Pipe, um, describe to us. Um, if you could lay out a perfect day for yourself, <laughs> what, what would it look like? <laughs> a perfect day? Like at, at this point in my life? Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, <clears throat> not like 20 years ago, but yeah, okay. like today. Um, like, and again, not, I mean, just something that's realistic. Yeah. What's like, what's like a, just an incredibly from, from start to finish, like enjoyable day where you go to bed that night and you go, man, what a great day. What, a, what just an yeah. awesome day. Every part about it. Um, I think so the key ingredients for me to to an awesome day like let's call it realistic not you know not sort of traveling to paradise kind of thing so exactly. waking, waking up in the Nashville suburbs and having an awesome day are um 
I really like quiet mornings. So I like waking up early, but I don't love doing things with people early. I like quiet in the morning. So coffee, Bible, book, journal, just a couple hours of, uh, of me being able to kind of get my head and heart straight and wake up before we move into people the rest of the day. And I, you know, and I do like people. So the rest of the day is with, with folks is great. Um, I think the second ingredient is doing something with my family that they enjoy. Mm. I, I really, you know, there are things that I really enjoy, but if my family feels like they're being dragged into it, so if my kids are like moping while I'm enjoying something, I'm not enjoying that thing. Um, so it could be, you know, like last Saturday, for example, we were, we were at a lake with, uh, with Lauren's coworkers, one of her teams. And so the girls spent the afternoon tubing and wake surfing and all this stuff and just had a blast. Like that's a near perfect day, especially if I don't have to drive the boat. I can just like sit in the boat or sit on the dock with a drink and they have a ton of fun and I get to talk to people. Um, it, if it's with close friends, that's even better. So a group of, you know, six or 10 people, not a huge group. I don't love massive parties, but love having friends around. Um, so I mean, and that, that the thing is that what doing that, whatever that thing is, it could be going to a baseball game. It could be hiking. It could be going to a lake, just sort of something active, but mm. not like adventure sports, just fun outside. There has to be awesome food. So like one just amazing meal, whether it's like grilling for lunch or dinner or something like that, that's mm-hmm. just everybody's enjoying food together. Um, and then if the day ended with um, like sitting around a bonfire with those friends, having drinks and just talking and laughing until people get too tired to have coherent sentences anymore, <laughs> that's basically an awesome. That's basically a perfect day. Nice. So I like well. So pipe. So that kind of gives us insight into your into your personality a little bit. You know, in terms of people that have read your books or they're just listening to your pods, and they kind of want to know what you enjoy or some of the things that make you tick. And like, I think you just described something that is very like simple, and it kind of is something that sort of plays into you know the quietness in, in, in the, the, you know, the, the happiness of your soul rather than being all of these like, you know, entangled things that, that you feel like need to all come together for you to have a day that, that all makes sense to you and is, is enjoyable. So that's, that's interesting. People might not realize that about you. Yeah. I, well, and I, I think there probably was a time, especially like in my twenties when I, I, struggled with like FOMO, just the idea that I need one more thing to make like this day would be better if kind of adding, piling on. And I think I've just come to realize that there's, there's so much more enjoyment and just sort of appreciating, like if everybody's happy and we've got that sort of like the foundational good times, we're doing something fun together. The weather's great. The food is great. The people are great. That what you can't really ask for a lot more than that. And so there's, there is sort of, I think I've probably, I don't know if I'd say I would say arrived or grown into a place of like it's sim- like simple fun is way better than trying to pack a day with the the perfect experiences. Yeah, no, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, I dig that because I, I, I resonate with that a lot. You know what I mean? In terms of like, I think as you get older, like your requirements for for what is going to sort of like give you some kind of enjoyment, they just they tend to like narrow and simplify. 
So it's interesting to hear you say that because I think I would have settled most of the same things at the end of the day, you know. So pipe, kind of harkening back to um, th- this came to mind as you were talking about your mom and your dad, and um, you know Ronald and I have both been uh, married to our ladies for for a while, and uh, you're embarking on a, a new marriage here. Um, you know we could we could both probably identify ways in which. Being married has opened up new opportunities for us and things that we never would have considered in ways in which our our spouse has made us better that were unexpected. <laughs> um, kind of looking <laughs> looking down the road at, at a lifetime of marriage uh, to your new bride. Like, what are what are some ways in which you envision like that happening for you? That's sort of an obtuse question. Yeah, but, well, uh, it's it's a really yeah that you're 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 stretching my my imagination my mind here probably in a good way um i think well just at the foundational level she's a like i have i i just walk through life with a very loud devil sitting on one shoulder telling me to say things i shouldn't say and push the limits and generally be a jackass um we would so, not have been good college roommates in that respect. Right. We would have been <laughs> terrible for each other and had so yeah. much fun and just destroyed uh-huh. things and gotten kicked out of school. Um, so she, <laughs> Lauren is very much the uh, the conscience, the angel sitting on the other shoulder being like, um, maybe you should not say that and probably probably stop what you're doing right now. That would be wise. And not in a not in a nagging way at all, but just in a, like, just a much better sense of uh, – yeah of what's a good idea and what's not. Um, you know, and some, sometimes that's a joking thing. And sometimes it's much more like I will get very angry about something and she will say, you need to sit this one out until you cool off. Mm. And that's what I need to hear. So that's probably not so much an opportunity as, as it is a protection that will, so to keep me from, from destroying stuff. Um, but it's like a daily thing where there, there's some element daily where she she speaks sense to me that i need to hear and it's a miracle to me that i didn't make a wreckage of stuff prior to her doing that um i think in terms of opportunities i've been amazed even just in the so we've we've been together for about a year and a half and married for a month now uh the way that friendships change when when um so like friendships with couples especially when like if she gets along with the wife and the other couple and I get along with the husband. That's just a whole world of friendship that changes there instead of it feeling like it's a very narrow thing. So I had a number of friends who I got along with the couple well, but of course I'm not really personal friends with the wife as a single guy. Um, So it was like me getting together with the husband, us being buddies, us whatever. And now all of a sudden it, it has just expanded into this. There's, there's just a whole other uh, realm of friendship uh, as as couples, and I think that's it's not even adding people in terms of like I don't I don't have fourteen more friends or something like that. It's just adding dimensions to the things that were already there that uh, that make those better. And yeah. I mean, it, and if you go to what I was just saying about like what my perfect day is, it just takes that day and makes it feasible mm-hmm. because it would be hard for me to have a day like that without the kind of the whole realm of friendship that is like we get along great with them, not just I get along great with him kind of thing. So I think that's a huge thing, just that the kind of the richness of those friendships. Um, I think, I think 
it's hard to imagine specifics, but it's not hard to imagine the possibilities of her saying, you know, something like, well, why don't you write about this? Or if I'm bandying mm-hmm. about an idea that I'll probably never get to for her to say, like, well, why don't you just do it? Like, why, why yeah. don't you try that thing? And I don't know what those things are, you know, it, it, whether it's a branching out and writing or, you know, taking on some different sort of speaking or podcasting or whatever opportunity um, for her to to be the person who can kind of push me into that uh, where yeah. I might just never get around to it. I might not talk myself into it. Um, I think the last thing that comes to mind is, you know, I'm working at a church and I feel like I've landed at a place where this prob this is the thing that I look at and I go, yeah, I'll do this for the next 10 years, Lord willing. I don't, that it doesn't feel like there's a, there's a shelf life on this. Um, ministry at a church is really different if you're not married. Like there's just a, um, mm. There's not a ceiling on it. It's just you you have to you navigate it very differently. Um and it expands pretty dramatically if you're married in terms of the kinds of people who you can minister to, the doors that are open, the way people view you, which is that's probably kind of sad because I don't think we should view single people as, you know, less capable or less worthwhile. But I think that aspect just sort of what what doors will open uh in terms of ministry and serving people uh, that, that couldn't have existed before. Yeah, no, that's solid. Baby, do you have time for one more? I know we got to get you out of here. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. Go for it, man. I'm all ears. Yeah. One, one more for the road. Pipe. So here's my final, here's my final question for you, man. Um, when you look at, let's talk about your sort of your body of written work. Um, so you have four, you have your fourth book, Getting ready to drop, right? What's yep. the date on that in, one? A little promo. Uh, October first. It's called Hoping for Happiness. So you can pre-order it now, folks. Go get that. Nice man. Pick and, it up. Uh, Amazon.com. Is that the is that the little company that's carrying it? Yeah, right I now? think it was really nice. Uh, Jeff Bezos was nice to reach out to me the same way he did to Ted yeah, for Ted, Ted's guy. little project. Oh, and, he's uh, a good guy. and just he yeah. was like, Hey, it seems to have worked out all right for Ted. Maybe we can do something too. So yeah, yeah Amazon.com. No, he's good. It's yeah. Jeff, Jeff's guy. a great guy to work with. He's personal. Really I'm getting lunch with him today, boys. It's uh, yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> that's where you're and, going. That's why you gotta hop off the pod. Absolute. So, um, so Pipe, tell, give us some insight, give your, your readers and your listeners some insight. Um, what is the book that you have lodged in your head that you haven't written or that you think, man, I'm just not ready to write it. I would like to write it in 10 years, 15 years. I need to be older or I just don't, I'm not, I'm not there yet with, with, um, with even thinking through it conceptually. Yeah, I, that's a hard question to answer because I every book that I've written is not part of a plan. You know, I don't I didn't have a four book plan when I started writing. I had one book and then the publisher asked for two and thankfully in writing the first one a second one kind of was born and I went, "Oh, that's I'm writing a book on being a pastor's kid, but there's a lot in here about faith and doubt. I can write that." And then that brought up question asking as like, "Oh, I can write a book about curiosity." And then that came up and then I was done. I had no ideas for about a year and a half, two years until this this idea of of happiness and expectations kind of crystallized. Mm. Um, and so I have no idea. I don't know what's next. Uh, I think I don't think I'm done because I think I have sort of a a compulsion to write, and not in a not in an unhealthy way, but just a 
it's a thing that I look at and I go, I have to do that. That's a, it's kind of a thing that I, I love it. I don't always love doing it, but I love the, the, the cumulative process. Um, and I don't know that I'll ever write a magnum opus type. Like when I look at the way my dad writes, you know, he wrote Desiring God and then every other book is a spinoff of Desiring God. Um, I don't know how anybody does that. My brain doesn't work that way. Um, I, that's a, that seems foreign to me. I would say the one thing that I have been sort of circling from a distance, kind of eyeing, wondering about, but absolutely petrified to start is any sort of fiction or creative nonfiction. Mm. So either, either a memoir type thing, which scares me to death because writing bad memoirs is the worst uh-huh. or fiction because I don't even know how to write fiction. I just love fiction. Uh-huh. And so I feel like if I love fiction as much as I do and I love writing, to not try it would be uh I think it I don't regret much, but I think I would regret if I didn't try. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You should uh you should co-write my uh my Christmas nov with me, Pipe. You oh. probably really enjoy that. We do I, a maybe you're always always looking, always you know, always I, I, just, I like co- always yeah, looking like- to only write half a book. I like collaboration. I don't know what to tell you, boys. I I thought that was a collab guy. You're a collab guy. I mean, you know, it's half the writing, double the platform, half the money. But, you know, there's give and take. Absolutely. Give and take. Baby, how's that other collab shaping up? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any any word from our agent on that other thing that we were possibly dreaming up? Big thing. The 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 thing. The thing behind the thing. Yeah, the thing. Behind the thing. Behind the thing. Yeah. um, Yeah. We'll talk off air. Okay. Well, let's yeah. get off the air, so dude. I want to. Yeah, because there's there's yeah. Uh, there's things to discuss. There's intrigue. I want to go a couple of minutes on that off the air, uh, boys. We have done what we always do in that we've interviewed Pipe for 37 minutes. Um, Pipe, likable guy, Ronald. Don't you think? Yeah, just absolutely. easy to like. Just very very level, very even, a little cranky, yeah. but uh, we'd expect that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Still still uh, getting over his bitter youth group upbringing. We understand that. That's a thing. Uh, wow. Yeah, we're 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 getting back to that ethos that we had off the air before um before we before we hop I'm on. I'm not blaming him for that. He had once, no choice in that. Once so, somebody yeah, calls it, it me likable, I feel like I'm I'm not allowed to insult them back. Like I have to sit this one out. <laughs> He, he uh, it was, it was a really a great guy, Pipe, but he's just kind of a crank. That was super verbal jujitsu of you. I'm very impressed. It was that that's Yoda work though. I mean, you know, that's kind of like spoken Yoda Whoa. as opposed to Twitter Yoda, but, uh, boys, we've done what we always do on this program. We've wandered to and fro throughout some topics and until next time. The happy rant is brought to you by resonate recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Thank you. 
Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.